listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm not Jen. <laughs> Got you almost. No, I had a feeling. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have held that note for that long. <laughs> I can see through these games and long notes. <laughs> well, well, next week I'll come up with something much more unique. Probably a different tune. Probably a different not Jen. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, guys, we're your resident best friends, Jen and not Jen, here to help you along your relationship journey. Think of us as Jen and not Jen or your very own little fun fairies to help you bring joy to the process. We sprinkle love dust all over the place because it takes a village to date and we are your community. Mm-hmm. And we bring you this show weekly, as if you don't already know, because we've been with you for the past like three years or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> with our stories, tips, and expert guests to help you navigate the complicated world of dating and relationships. So help us in the podcast world by doing your part and rating our show and leave comments about what you think, because we've asked you enough. So you should really do it. Yes, that's for all of you that have been loyal fans since the get-go. But if you're just tuning in, in, this is for you. Mm-hmm. We are here weekly. And also what we would like you to do is find us at It's Complicated Podcast. Just search that. Um, and if you're having trouble getting our weekly episodes, which come every week, like we said, unsubscribe and resubscribe because iTunes is a little complicated, just like our show. We like to be on brand. So once you do that, they'll just get sent right to you in a pretty little email with a cute little reminder. Um, and you can find us on Spotify. You can find us all over the damn place because we like to spread our wings and fly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like my dating process. I'm on every single app. We're so like, it's the same idea. We're like the slutty version of a podcast and we are not slut shaming. There is nothing wrong with that. I'm no, just, we're proud of it. Yeah. We, we like to spread our seed. <laughs> um, so we appreciate you guys, um, rating, commenting, telling friends, sharing it keeps the lights on in the dating village that we have made and built for you guys so thank you for contributing to the village Mm -hmm. and so what we're contributing today is the author and self-proclaimed change junkie monica berg who's joining us again to discuss her new book and the three steps to being the one attracting the one and becoming the one and also why we need to rethink love in order to find or rekindle love Yeah, you guys, we've had Monica on before and she discussed her change junkie method. And so we're excited to get her in to talk about her new book. There's a lot of great stuff in there. And uh, if you guys forget, here's a little refresher. Monica is a mother, wife, sister, daughter, teacher, friend, author, cardio enthusiast, which go you because I freaking hate cardio, and change junkie. She integrates all that she is into her mission of sharing with others what she's discovered. Monica is a fresh voice that channels the powerful internal spark of light living within us all. Authentic and fearless, she reminds us of our extraordinary potential and pushes us onward with compassion and understanding. With her trademark blend of humor, insight, and honesty, she shows individuals how to create a life that feels like it's working, like it makes sense, and most importantly, a life in which they are living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. Amen to that, literally. Her personal endeavors have taught her how the practical wisdom of Kabbalah, yep, you heard us, Kabbalah, can bring light and strength into 
even the most challenging experiences by changing the one thing we can control, ourselves. And we all know we like to control things. So let's start with ourselves. I included in that. Yeah, the Kabbalah practices are very relatable in this book. Monica just um, uses them to sort of explain like very general ideas, how they relate to Kabbalah, about how they can relate to anybody's life. So it's very, very um, transferable for anybody. And it's awesome advice. So we're going to get into that. Um, I am going to get into what I've been up to, which was the Super Bowl, like every other cold, red-blooded American. (laughs) I say cold because there's some snakes out there that we've talked about. So you can be cold-blooded or red-blooded. It's fine. Um, Sad that the Patriots weren't in the Super Bowl this year, but it was fun to watch. And the silver lining was it was less stressful. So um, this brings me to sharing the bond and enthusiasm for something in common with like a friend or someone you're interested in or slash your significant other. Um, James is a Patriots fan. We've talked about this many a times and I happen to also like watching sports. So it's not like I'm like making myself do something that I can't fucking stand. So it makes sense on both ways that I am sort of into watching the sporting event with him and rooting for this team that I've adopted as mine. So I think it's kind of like a fun little relationship hack if, and it adds strength to the relationship. If there's something that you don't know a lot about, but you love the person you love or are interested in is very into it. And it's something that you can see yourself liking. You give it a try, have an open mind, try new things, discover new things. You never know what you might end up finding out that you like and bonding over. And this just happens to be one of them. And I think it's a good little tip or trick to integrate into your being open-minded and accepting other people's likes and all of the things. And you then look, I'm like a super Patriots fan now. How about that? How about that? Um, How about the fact that I went to Miami? um, Where the Super Bowl was. But I got out of Dodge real quick because- (laughs) So smart. Thanks. So uh, yeah, I left on Saturday um, just to be back- to watch it with you. I know. But um, I, you know, I got to go to a series. Stop talking to me. She, I think she's my boyfriend. I think she's she, always well, listening listen, and very attentive. She is. And no, she's what you want your boyfriend to Ooh. be. She's always listening and very attentive. And even when she comes in at the wrong times, you're appreciative of her being there and being supportive of you. And that's what you want in a man. And exactly. that was the universe telling you that that's what you're going to find. You're oh, I love it. putting it out there. I love it. Um, I wish the universe would speed things up a bit. In fact, so I was <laughs> obviously swiping while I was in Miami because that's what I do best is keep hope alive and, you know, obviously think that I'm going to import somebody because there's clearly some somewhere else. They're not in LA. Yeah. So I did swipe a bunch and something is in the water there. It's like there's so much more sense of urgency when it comes to matching and wanting to meet up. Can we just call it an East Coast thing? Because that was my experience in a different state on the East Coast. I'm Potentially. Just gonna, I'm just going to rule every East Coast state as having more of a sense of urgency. That's right. just great. There well, we maybe that's also why I have one at all times. But so when I'm there, it's like really nice because the attention is like high. Yeah. But also tragically, I was not able to meet up with anybody because I was so busy bouncing around from different events um, that I was obligated to be at. But um, it was just a nice reminder that there are people out there that do have like an urgent interest to go out and reminds me that I should keep up with it while I'm in LA. 
and keep hope alive. I mean, it's a real struggle though. I will say that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I guess the only thing we can do is like, we were talking about control a little bit earlier. Like you can't control people's sense of urgencies, but you could encourage it. Like if that, if that's what you're looking for, that's what I, I was looking for too. So I can completely relate. And I know that a lot of girls probably are, you want to get off the app or people, you want to get off the app. You want to meet. So the only thing you can do is encourage a sense of urgency. Yeah. Like, and that's maybe just try to like, I don't know, make someone feel safe to have a sense of urgency instead of playing the game of like, oh, we're all too cool to actually hang out. Fuck that. Well, I don't even know if it's too cool or just they're not really here for the right reasons, as yeah. we like to say <laughs> on, well, we watched The Bachelor, um, which obviously we did with our girlfriends this week. But um, I think there's either just different priorities, too many options yeah, or something it's like people. It's so funny because people in LA dress lazily. Like if you look at their style, it looks like grunge, yeah. homeless chic. And that could be even just very expensive items. But like on the East coast, you don't see people dressing like that as yeah. much. It's not like you try hard to look like you tried not at all. Yeah. So I think maybe there's that element, but it's like um, the overall vibe in California, especially Southern California. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just a little disappointing that things don't move forward. Also people here, right. How are you? Or like, how's your day? Like, dude, I literally don't know you. You don't know me. My day was fine. Who cares? Why don't you ask about something that's in my profile? I curate it perfectly. So you have things to talk about. Be more creative. Put more effort in. It's so lazy. It grosses me out. And I'm having a really hard time these days being polite back. So now I'm just educating everybody. It is my mission in life to make people try harder. All right. She is a change junkie. And when it comes to rethinking love, fear is not an option. Welcome back to the show, Monica. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Yeah. So excited to have you. And we are so pumped about this new book. Um called Rethink Love, Three Steps to Being the One, Attracting the One, and Becoming the One. This book is for anyone who is in love, wants love, or wants to rekindle love. Which is perfect for our audience. So we have to know, though, from you, because you've written two other books, and this one's more focused on love, um, like just screams it in the title. So what inspired you to go in this direction and write this book? Well, it's interesting because actually this was the first book that I had written, but um, at that time, it was years ago, I didn't consider myself an author yet. And it came to be because I meet with different couples and, um, well, really students. And part of the things that would come up across the board, the theme was the biggest issue they were struggling with was their relationship, whether they wanted to be in one or they wanted to exit one or they wanted to improve it. And it became really my life's work for 10 years. I started meeting with the couples then. And I found that most people are struggling with the same things. It might be on a different box, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out the same thing. We all want to find connection. We want to feel worthy of love. We want to be able to give and receive love. So um, this book I'm really proud of, it has, it's a combination of, um, I always tell my own personal stories. I warn my husband, I'm like, you're in almost every page of this book, so you should probably read this one. I love Um, that. (laughs) But it also has my student stories. It has psychology, science, spirituality. I think I've said everything there is to say or that I want to say on the subject of love. Which is great. And we're so glad that we have you because our audience, as we mentioned, can benefit greatly. Me specifically. So selfishly, I'm excited to find out. Well, also, (laughs) but, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's Monica's point is that this is for anybody in any stage of finding love at relationships, any of that. 
Um, and yeah, it feels like a crucial part is when you're trying to find it, but then it doesn't really stop there. And it's so funny that you say this book, how this book was inspired, because that's sort of why it's the same reasons to why we even started this podcast, Jen and I, it's that there's so many, all of our girlfriends or even guy friends, any of our people who are close to us, we all talk about this as such a, like a popular common subject um, to talk about or to get advice about or to have issues with. And Jen and I just felt like this was the perfect topic to have a podcast about because we felt like we spent all of our time talking about like love, finding love. Is it good? Is it bad? What are the positives? What are the negatives? Also, all of if it. you're in a relationship, like that's not going well, do you stay and fix it or do you get out? But anyway, we'll get into all of that as we go through our questions because we've got a million yes, for you. Yes, we do. Um, most people spend most of their time in relation when they think about relationships and finding the one we, we put ourselves through so many uncomfortable situations, you know, double dating, blind dating, different apps. And then when we find that person, we think, okay, great. I found the one. And now I can focus on other areas of my life. When in fact, the truth is this is when you need to put the most energy and investment into the relationship, because if not, Um, it becomes less of a priority. And then before you know it, you've grown apart or you have different interests and um, you start to take each other for granted. You lose appreciation. It's just a natural part of human nature. So my big message is that this is where the real effort starts. And it sounds like work, but it's worthwhile. Oh, totally. So now this book is broken up into three parts and you've titled them Me, Moving from Me to We and We. So why I guess let's just start with the me um what are the three steps to being the one like and also just in addition to that why do we have to be the one it's so interesting because I've done a, a bunch of podcasts on my book now and everybody changes the title so it's actually and it's something I think the mind does it's becoming one, not becoming the one. And I Ah. chose that as part of the title because it bothers me. Everybody's like, oh, my soulmate, or is it the one? It's it's more about how do you become one together? Right. Which I think is exciting. People do becoming the one. That is interesting. Your mind just like tricks you. I guess it's because we hear it so much of like cliched statements. Um, But really it is becoming one. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're focusing on ourselves because that's the first section. Where do we start and how do we know we need to focus on us like that? We're not perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. I hate that word. We should erase it from our vocabulary, but me is the fundamental first step. It's the crucial step in relationships that most people miss because the longest, most important relationship you'll ever have in your lifetime is the one you have with yourself. If you're uncomfortable in your own skin, you don't know what you believe, you don't know how to say what you want, you have shame and wanting, you're not authentic, then how can you enter and have a successful relationship from a place that hasn't fully been realized or met, right? You have to reveal your own potential. So the first nine chapters actually of my book break it down. Each chapter has a workshop and has exercises where you can really understand and learn to love who you are, know who you are and accept yourself. That was the work that I did um, early in my life. I started at age 17. I had a debilitating eating disorder and I really didn't have a choice. It was either do the work and learn to love myself or die. So I chose the better, (laughs) the better choice. 
Um, and so this work, it doesn't matter if you find yourself in your 70s and you're widowed or you're going through your second divorce or you're still single, this step can't be overlooked. It's the most important. In like social media, but you like, you know, the trends of like, oh, love yourself before you can love someone else and like self-love and all those things that are really trendy now. But you explain it so much more tangibly. Like it's not just these these buzzwords. This is like no. something that you're, you have to make time for and you give like very good examples about what that looks like and how to do it instead of just saying like, oh yeah, like yourself. Okay, next step, you know. Right. What I do also, I think that the biggest part is to identify what you don't want anymore of what's not working for you and to eliminate that. Then you're already 50% there. So the first thing is, because I have found that the greatest strength that I have is the ability to make good choices. How do you how do you do that? How do you learn to rely on yourself, to depend on yourself, to know that you'll do the right thing when push comes to shove? It's about really drowning out the noise and the voice of the outside of other people's opinions, other people's judgments, other people's desires, and stopping and saying, okay, well, that's what they want. That's great. What is it that I want? And then being allow yourself to say, I want this. And you don't even have to act on it. The first step is just to recognize what it is that you put energy into? Is it what you want or is it what other people say you should want or what other people want from you? That's the first step. Self-love comes much later. The first thing is to stop the hatred, right? Because when we end up living our lives for other people, it does create a lot of resentment, a lot of anger and a lot of hatred. And it's usually directed at ourselves. That's so interesting. That is such a more digestible way to think about it because then all of a sudden you think, okay, well, I'm just supposed to um, figure out what I want. Okay. Now that equals, I love myself, but that's not like okay. realistic. It doesn't happen five minutes later. You have to really ask yourself when you're, and you can put it in just dating, like, okay, do I actually want to date a guy or girl like this? Or is this what I think I should be dating or what somebody, my friends do, or what my parents have thought, or is, you know, really, really asking yourself that and then practicing it because, the self-love is something that you can expect to come much later, right? Much later. And what's interesting, after this first step of drowning out other people's desires, demands, judgments, then you are now left with hearing your own thoughts. And those thoughts might not be kind, but you're going to sit with them. You'll hear them and you say, okay, wait, so this is my belief system. And then you need to challenge the belief system. Maybe the belief system is based on what your you know, mother who your father left and she said, you can never trust men. Maybe that was the voice in your head from when you were five. And so it's still the voice in your head, but is it your belief or is it your mother's belief system? So I, I break it down. And again, I use examples and different students that I've worked with. You have to challenge those thoughts. Once you identify the ones that are not real, then you have to create new ones. And that's beautiful. That's really empowering. So, and that's the thing. People have competing thoughts all the time. I desire love, but I am not deserving of love. So if you have two conflicting thoughts, which one do you listen to? Right. So again, the self-love part's gonna come way after all of this stuff. There's a lot of stuff to muddle through. It's very and then, foggy. Yeah. Do you just decide in the moment, like, okay, I don't I guess I figured out that I don't think I'm deserving of love, but I know that I want it. So then that's like going down a whole new path all of a sudden. Now you have to figure out why don't I feel like I deserve it? And how do I get myself to a place where I feel like I deserve love because everyone deserves love and I deserve to give it and get it. So then, then it's like a whole new. The other thing too is also like your definition of love. Like some people mm-hmm. like think differently about it or like, 
feel validated differently. And I mean, just somebody paying attention to you doesn't necessarily equal love to somebody else. So how do you even come up with a definition of love when you're going through the same process? So that's interesting too. And that comes later in the book, but there's, you know, love versus need. There's romantic love versus unconditional love. There's what you saw love to be growing up. You know, things are impressed upon us and it informs who we are and, and you need to really challenge that. So, um, for instance, I have a chapter about unconditional love. Unconditional love is you really love somebody for their essence, not what they give you, not for validation, not how they make you feel. Because if you wait for your partner to validate you, let's say you never felt beautiful. And now you meet somebody and they're saying, oh my God, you're this, you're that, you're amazing. And then suddenly they decide one day that they don't think that anymore and they're out of your life. So now you're not going to feel beautiful anymore. That's not love, right? And you never want to be dependent on somebody else to feel good about yourself. But unconditional love is really when somebody sees your path, sees your journey. And even if you're making mistakes, they're there for you side by side. They allow you to have your journey and they love you through it because most people try to be controlling in love, control and love, real love, unconditional love. They can't exist together. So I think that, and that's why this first part of me is so important because if not love becomes about um, for some people, it's a transaction. For other people, it's a ticket to somewhere better. For other people, it's self-worth or self-esteem or validation. All of those things are fleeting. They're not real. Those are the only things you can give for, to yourself. Well, and so now let's say you finally, you, you give these things to yourself and you have sorted through your belief system and also things that other people have said, and, and you've made decisions about how you feel about certain things um, and reduce the clutter in your head. At what point can you tell that you love yourself? Like, are, what are the signs that you actually do have self-love? So it's when you can look in the mirror or when you wake up in the morning or you go to bed at night and you can stop and say, you know, while there are things that I wanted to change, when I, I know better, I'll do better. Or I learned from that and um, you know, next time I'll do it a little bit differently. It's a kinder voice in your head. It's a, it's a way you'd speak to a child or your child, or to, if you imagine yourself as a child, it's that kind, compassionate aspect where it allows you to make mistakes, to learn from them and actually to feel good in your skin. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we won't make mistakes, but we're not punishing ourselves for it. When you practice that, then you have that amazing feeling of, wow, I can rely on myself to do the right thing. Not that there's right or wrong, but to do the right thing by me, right? That I feel good about that. It's called integrity, really. Yeah. And you don't confuse self-love with like, I love everything that I'm doing. So then no mistakes happen because I love all of these things. I'm so great. That's not, it's, it's, that's not real. That's ego. (laughs) Yeah. That's just the ego. Um, No, it's about saying I made the mistake and um, while that kind of, you know, stinks and I would rather have gone differently, it's okay. What can I learn from this? It's just, it's a kindness. It's a kindness that you offer to yourself. Okay. So I like the, um, you know, we, we looked through this book and there's so like every single chapter is like awesome, but we love the, um, your own personal baggage claim section of the book and the, um, the Kabbalah term, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this tacoon. Is that how you say it? You got it right. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so can we talk about what that means and then how this inspired you to put it in the personal baggage claim chapter? Yeah, that's one of my favorite and it's a little bit deep, but I always like to bring big concepts and then break them down. So 
you know, especially in the world we live in today, it's a disposable society. A lot of people don't take responsibility for their words or their actions or um, really a lot of things, especially when dating. You know, there's ghosting and there's all these things, right? It's just like, I'm going to do whatever I feel. But there's this great concept and wisdom from the study of Kabbalah called tikkun, which translates as correction or repair. So basically, it's the idea that we all carry baggage that's been created not only in this lifetime, but in other lifetimes. And I'm a really level-headed person. I'm really a pragmatic, linear thinker. But And some people might not believe in different incarnations. I do. Um, but even let's say you just think about this lifetime, it's about cause and effect. It's understanding that everything we do, so, every time we do something that's negative, we create a negative energy and that's going to come back at some point in our lives. Now, I don't have a punishing belief system, but it's about taking responsibility. So, um, and it's basically like the Newtonian physics, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So if for instance, I had, um, let's say commitment was my tikkun, right? I was afraid of commitment. Then I might subconsciously choose partners that are unavailable. And to break that correction, to break that tikkun, then I would choose maybe to date people that are available. That will be very uncomfortable, by the way. When you challenge that thing that you need to correct, it's not easy. It's like you feel like your skin's crawling, but by doing that, you grow and transform, which is the bigger picture of why we are here. Yeah. So just be aware that if it feels uncomfortable, that doesn't mean no bad stop. That means you're working through something that is out of your comfort zone and you just need to move through it. Right. And it's not going to be, it shouldn't be something you don't want, but I'm sure if you're single, right, and you have commitment issues, you're going to want to get through that, right? You're going to want to overcome that. So while it's not comfortable, it's something that you do want to overcome. I'm not saying put yourself in something that's like making your hair stand up and you're about to throw up and it's not what you want, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's me on dates most of the time where my hair stands up. <laughs> um, and most people confuse this idea, tikkun, and they make it about their husband who betrayed them or their friend who backstabbed them or the child that's wearing their patience thin. It's not about that. Um, because we like to blame, you know, that's the person they're, they're responsible for my challenges. Instead, you want to see all of these opportunities for what they are. It's an opportunity for you to become a better person and who you're destined to become. I mean, that's really what drives everything that I do. That's what I'm passionate about. Like everything that I'm doing, like, why am I up at 845 after being up at 6am doing this? Because this really is, I, I believe in it. It's what's going to transform and grow me. And that's the biggest purpose for me. So yeah, um, tikkun is a big aspect of that. And it's not just like saying sorry. It's obviously apologizing and being sorry, but then correcting and repairing how you can like live your life or that moment to correct and repair and not just saying sorry and walking away. It's like, it's like you said, it's deeper. And taking accountability. Much, exactly. Because again, you can say you're sorry about something, but you know, often when we say we're sorry, we think we're right. And then the ego gets uncomfortable. And then you break the ego by forcing yourself to do it. So there is some kind of transformation that occurs there, elevation that occurs where you're different and better for going on the other side of it versus avoiding it. Most people right. try to run from the cocoon, especially in relationships. Like, oh, you know, this relationship's not working for me anymore. I'm just going to go and, and meet somebody else. And then and I know this has happened to a lot of people. Then you enter that relationship and you're like, wow, I had those same issues in the last relationship. Why do I have them again? And then you might find in the third relationship, well, this is a big indication that this is something that you need to correct. It's not about your partner. Yes, totally. 
And like the worst thing somebody can say is that like, well, that's just the way I was raised or, well, that's just my relationship experience. Well, do the work. Hello. Like get over it. Like mm-hmm. it's time to move forward. Yeah. It's not. That's or no don't complain about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, we so we watch The Bachelor every week with our girlfriends and it's funny because uh, as a group of friends where I feel like we all pretty much work on ourselves and like we all have podcasts. So we, we do the work out loud. Um, but we're like speaking to the TV, giving these girls advice and they all have this one tragic thing they have to share with The Bachelor about their past and like that's their way to connect with the person. But it's like, okay, so that's from your past. Sure. But like, how did you rise up from that? And like, why that shouldn't be your cross to bear every single day. Exactly. But you know, that's, I, I have a whole chapter on that too. It's a story of victimization. A lot of people oh. rather stay there than do the uncomfortable work. Right. So yeah. basically, um, you know, the person that cut you off in the street, a troll, your boss who makes you work late an ogre. Right. And we blame other people rather than seeing it for what it is, you know, what's the opportunity here? What can I learn? Where can I grow? A lot of people don't actually, you know, we want things in our life to change, but we don't actually want to do the work to change them. It's much easier to point the finger. It's not satisfying. It's not going to give you results. It's actually going to create more unhappiness, but a lot of people stay stuck there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And victims, like nobody likes a victim that is like unattractive and like a very dangerous quality in a friend, in a co-worker and a partner and anything so not only dangerous but it's ugly yeah it's not cute no well I have um, a I have a line in the book that says would you want to be married to you <laughs> Ooh. speaking of being married so we're moving from me to we now and we have hopefully resolved our own issues or at least started to work on them in a meaningful way so how do you do that and stay grounded in who you are while navigating you know, relationships with other people, because that seems like a lot of double duty. Right. So me to we is exactly that, how to maintain your beliefs. Hopefully you've identified what they are at this point and stay grounded in who you are while navigating the intricacies of a relationship. Because now you're living with somebody and you're sharing a life, maybe a bank account, a bed, a future. And, um, the things that maybe you could have hidden before, you know, are now in plain yeah. sight. So you have a mirror, basically. So how do you make this work? And this is where it gets challenging. And that's why it it behooves me that people just stop paying attention at this point. Because if you think about it, this is really where the relationship starts, right? This is where the issues come up. This is where you learn the most about yourself because you have somebody mirroring you all day long that's right in front of you. Um and so here I talk about the Cinderella syndrome. I talk about um, why people settle. And one of my other favorite chapters is distinguishing between fact and fiction. So there's the truth, and then there's the story we make up about it, right? And victimization is in there too. And then yeah. the ego is me, myself, and I, I, I. So Cinderella syndrome is where we start. And that's basically when we hold cherished illusions that true love will resolve all of our problems or bring us to a better place in our lives. And there's so much built around this um, through movies, through stories, through poetry. And, you know, we think that romance is going to be a ticket to something, something better is a complete fallacy. And this is why people start out with their marriages in the first year is so difficult because they had this illusion going into it. And then the euphoria of all of that, um, 
dopamine that's rushing through the body and new love and the romance is now dissipated. It's like, you know, that's a fact that happens scientifically after about six months into the marriage. And so now they're seeing things for what they are. Now, if you were really invested in your illusion, you can imagine how that's going to feel when it comes shattered. Well, so, okay. Let's talk about this because why do we have this illusion that like Prince Charming will come at all? Like where, what is this because of Disney? Like, did they ruin our lives? That's a big part of it. You know, when I read my six-year-old, because uh, she loves princesses and she loves dressing up, I actually change the story as I'm reading it to her. I mean, she's learning to read now, so that's going to be an issue. But like <laughs> when they have the princess and the pea and they're like, and this one, like they knew she was a princess because the little pea she slept on, on 15 mattresses, she got a little bruise on her butt. I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> She's so fragile, like ew. Why is she so? Only real princesses would understand, would feel something like that, or uh, you know, the prettiest. And he was looking for this one and that one. There's nothing about their intelligence or their strength or their kindness or their compassion. I mean, like, so I'm making all of this up. And um, but yeah, that's a big part of it. And the other thing is that we have this consumer mindset, just generally, that seeps into our romantic lives that um, it's the customer versus the provider mentality. So we have a perception that marriage is all about me. And nobody wants to admit this, by the way, but that's what we see. That's what we understand. It's about meeting my needs, not about what I do, but how this person makes me feel, right? So this sets you up for a sen- for entitlement and for expectation. And again, it's we don't even realize it. That's what's so shocking about it when it actually happens. And you find yourself, you're like, how did I get here? And then we put the wrong expectations on the relationship and what we should get out of it. And it's not fair to us. It's not fair to our partner either. And now what about, okay, for people that are not partnered that are just dating like myself and I'm dealing with like online dating and blind dating and all the things. And I obviously want to meet somebody who's amazing. Let's just say I want to, you know, meet somebody amazing. And I'm going through this process of all of these people that I'm meeting, but I, none of them line up to what I envision in my head as what I deserve, this Prince Charming kind of guy, especially now with like Meghan Markle marrying Prince Harry. Like it, someone can meet, someone can marry a prince. So at what point do we say like, okay, well, they're not going to be a prince, but they're going to be like, okay. Or where do we lower our standards? Where do we change our perspective? How do we do it if what we want is this fictitious prince? But first of all, you have to challenge that thought. I mean, first of all, you don't know what, Megan and Prince Harry's life looks like behind closed doors. And what is a prince anyway? I mean, I would make a list of what it is you're really looking for in a relationship and make sure that you're first offering that. Are you a princess? You know, I mean, do you want somebody who um, you just have fun with? Or do you want somebody who have the same belief systems or the same goals in life or the same discipline? Like, what is it that you really want? And there's a whole chapter on the 1% realm versus the 99% realm. So the 1% is our five senses, right? It's what we see, feel, touch, smell. It's it's how most of us operate. We make quick snap decisions and judgments based on that. That's human nature. But then there's a whole nother spiritual realm. It's the 99% realm where that's where your soul is, your compassion, your kindness, your appreciation. It's all of that goodness, right? If you're able to see people from that space, it's going to be much more accurate. But to do that, you have to be that first. 
you know, there's too much emphasis put on the wrong things at the onset of a relationship. And then later we realize that those weren't really the important things. Of course, you want to have attraction. Of course, you want to have great sex. Of course, you want to have fun. All of that's important, but it can't be the most important things because those things don't last. They also change very much. When you have your first child, you know, sex is not great right after. You, know, you just had a baby come out. <laughs> like there's things that yeah. will change, but the one thing that will be constant will be your purpose, right? If you have the same belief systems, the same desires, those are the things that take you through the long haul. I mean, I've been married 22 years and that's absolutely the formula for my marriage. Yeah. And a lot of, um, we've had other, you know, experts, authors, doctors, they all say that. And they sometimes will phrase it in a way like if a relationship is super hot and heavy, like right out the gate and it's, it's all just kind of like, it's based on the fun of that part where everything's very heightened and the sex is like this and you're really attracted to the person and it's exciting. And yeah, it's very exciting. That could be great, but if it burns out quickly and there's nothing underneath that, then that's the the demise of a relationship. Exactly, so, a, dopamine is working there. That's what you're. you're that, that's a, there's a physio, physiological thing that's actually occurring that dissipates after a while. And of course, you'll have different times where you feel it, but it won't be that constant state of bliss that's at the early onset of new romance. So great yeah. to have it, but there has to be so much more. Of course. And so now we've, you know, we've, we've become experts on ourselves. We've moved from me to we, and now we're in relationships. This one got me. I, the, the chapter called, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like sometimes I, you know, I can speak for myself, but maybe couples might feel like if you say sorry about something, like then you're sort of admitting that you were wrong or um, that you were maybe like, you could equate it to like a two-year-old language. Like I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm stupid or I'm wrong because I'm saying I'm sorry, meaning like I'm admitting that this thing was off or wrong in my opinion, or like it, it's like makes you feel invalid, right? Like I may have had feelings in a moment, but now I've got to go back and say sorry because that was incorrect or, and it's not always that black and white, but that could be it sometimes. So like saying sorry, that could be a reason why it's hard to do that. And how do you then kind of swallow your pride and say, okay, like this isn't about me or maybe it's okay to admit that I'm wrong and I'm not going to be judged. Well, it, it's hard to, okay, when it's hard for it's hard for all of us to some extent to say I'm sorry because the ego does not want that. Ego wants to be right. Ego wants to have the last word. Ego wants to be seen and heard and respected. So the ego is like, no, never say you're sorry, right? Now, and that's fine, but you're not going to have a very successful, happy relationship if you continue like that. I always say that there's three people in the relationship. There's me, you, and the ego. And the ego has no place, but it gets involved very often. So if you're in a relationship where it's safe to be vulnerable, then saying I'm sorry is not going to be as difficult. And someone is going to have to take the high road and make it safe if you're in a relationship already and it's not working in the way that you want. So you can be right or you can be happy. And I think that that's how you measure it. And what I always say, because it's hard to see what really happened, we're very emotional when things first happen. And Kabbalistically, it takes three days. If after three days of an argument, if something still bothers you, then that's probably what you should discuss. And you can say, look, I'm sorry for the things I said. It was a reaction. But at the core, this is what really triggered it for me. And I want to learn a new fighting style. I want to learn a better way of communication. Let's talk about it. Now, if you're in a relationship, you can't ignore each other for three days. I get that. But maybe you don't have this talk 
until then, because it will be really clear where the ego is holding on to versus what was reactive, what you feel badly about. But then you want to have a conversation of how, as a couple, you're able to navigate better. You, you can't avoid this stuff, right? If not, you really are. You're going to go to bed angry and you wake up. You know how many couples don't actually go back and repair? And then they just build on that and build on that and argument after argument. And then you have a new argument and you go right back to the one from three weeks ago because you never resolved that one either. So there's really yeah. no option. But yeah. yeah. Well, and so why is it three days? Where does that come from? And also, why did you decide to involve Kabbalah in your book and your theories and your practice? So three days is just, it's a Kabbalistic idea, but that is when the ego is kind of, for many different reasons, spiritually and, and physiologically, that you, you're you able to, you're not having that emotional reaction anymore. The anger is dissipated, the hurt, the rejection, right? How long do we really hold on to that? You'll have a residue. What's left is what really bothers you. So let's say we argued and then I said 15 things that were horrible and you said 15 things, but there was one truth in what you said, I'll, and, but it still was wrong the way you said it to how I felt it wasn't considerate. That will just be, it just throws away all the other stuff and what's really still there that's necessary to talk about will become clear. Um, I started studying Kabbalah when I was 17 and I stumbled upon it. And um, And before that point in my life, I just was at a loss. I mean, you know, I didn't know how to navigate through life. And I was young, right? So you're thinking, okay, well, why are you busy even thinking about these things? But I was so unhappy. And I remember I grew up in Beverly Hills and I remember looking around and everybody was so unhappy, but they were all striving for the same things, you know, more money, the better car, the bigger house, more wealth, but nobody seemed to be happy. And I was like, okay, this is not the formula for success. And by the way, it doesn't even interest me. Like, I don't want to pursue that just for that alone. So, and then I had the the eating disorder I talked about and, um, and, and, and right before that, I stumbled upon this wisdom. And for the first time, I actually got answers of why we're here. What is our purpose? How can you live a happy life? Where do you derive meaning and purpose from? And I just found my spiritual home. And from that, everything that's happened in my life, my second son was born with Down syndrome, you know, different things that happened to all of us. We all will have things that happen in life that we didn't expect, that we didn't want initially. I have been able to find the beautiful gift in it. And, and that's priceless. So I put that in everything that I offer. I think that I bring it in a very practical way. But I also say that if Kabbalah is not for you, you still need some form of spirituality, especially in a relationship, because if not, the ego becomes too big. And there's nothing that actually makes your consciousness say, wait a second, this doesn't serve us. There needs to be some kind of balance. Yeah. And I mean, if there is something bigger than you and like a greater good, then it does take you out of the like needing to be right versus wrong because you're a team versus an I and having to prove mm-hmm. this point. Yeah, exactly. that's a good point. Yeah, I like that thinking about like the overarching bigger picture, which is like the good of the relationship and where you both want to go and less about the moment of like this emotion that you're feeling. So now the third part of the book is the we and you, you know, discuss you, you call it like a manual for growing your relationship to its ultimate potential. Um, And, you know, we that's where I think we're all trying to get to, whether it's like your first time or like you said, whether you're divorced or and, and revisiting this or you're trying to rekindle from inside of a relationship years later. That's definitely like the button to this to this book is you move through all these things to get to that point and then and then you sort of guide how to continue to maintain that, correct? Yes, exactly. And that's why in there, you know, it's it's that part, it's um, how to elevate your love. I talk about soulmates. I talk about, you know, we often do this. We think about, 
you know, will you read my mind? If you really knew me, then, and you really loved me, you would know what I want. I mean, we don't even know what we want. We hardly are able to access our own thoughts. And now we expect our partner to like absolutely read our thoughts that we're not even aware of. Um, also spiritual sparring. I think fighting is very healthy in a relationship. I think you have to just agree on a style. I get worried about couples who never argue, you know, and then suddenly they're divorced and the kids are like, you never fought. Yes, because nobody was passionate about this relationship. So, um, you know, and, and a big part of that too is awakening appreciation and being friends. I can't tell you how many couples have become enemies. They forgot what a friendship is and they reach out to their girlfriends or their guy friends or their hairdresser or their masseuse or their trainer. And it's like the last person they're having the conversation they need to have with is their partner. Yeah, that's a good point. And it does, going back to what you said in the beginning, we we don't know what we want. And obviously that's the first step, like we mentioned at this book, but mm-hmm. that's something you constantly pay attention to. And it constantly changes, especially if you're in a situation where you're rekindling love in a relationship, like maybe like you have, where you've been married for 22 years, like that need and want and desire and things that, you know, that you are looking for in life, that changes from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 22 years ago. So you can't expect that someone just because you've been with them for a long time, they're just going to know, oh yeah, I'm a mind reader now. Like you are going to be a different person. Well, the other thing too, is that like, if we're following your steps from the beginning and we're working on the me part and we have to, at that point, get rid of the, like the, restraints that we've had on ourselves because of any sort of construct other people have put on us or any sorts of shoulds and um, rules that our parents gave us. But also that was from their time. Like my mom all the time is like, you should go to temple on a Friday to meet a single guy. I'm like, that's just not where I'm going to meet him. He's probably, (laughs) if a guy is at temple on a Friday, he's with his family and his kids. Like, I don't think that's my guy. And also if I don't go to temple regularly, that's probably not also where I meet my guy because he's going to expect to go to temple regularly and that I'm just showing up to meet someone. So it's not really in with like in line with who I am normally. But so I have to explain to her over and over again, like what the dating apps are, what the process is that, you know, I don't go out with somebody three times and then get married to them. Like, that's just not how this is going to go. So I think if we're doing the work on ourselves, like we're saying we need to do, it's the same thing has to be done when you're in a relationship. You can't put the shoulds and the, you know, all these rules on somebody like you should read my mind and you should know what I want all the time. And because those are archaic shoulds, they're not the same anymore. No one should anything. Everything is different. Like the people are not monogamous or people have a, a polyamory or whatever the hell they do. That's fine with them. And that's what works for them. Like no one should anything anymore just treat each other with respect at least. Well, you know, I'm a change junkie, right? So I always say the only constant is change. If you expect your partner's going to be the same for 20 years or that you're going to be the same for 20 years, you're fooling yourself, number one. And you might not like the way they're going or that you are, but change is happening. And I think the problem often is that people are changing. They're not realizing it. They're not talking about it. And then they change in ways that they grow apart. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we used to have this in common or we like the same music or, you know, you've changed. You weren't like this 10 years ago. Well, of course you're not like that anymore. So I think that the the most important, and, and that's, you know, I give examples in the book too. Like I'm always telling my husband like, oh, you know what I realized about myself today or you know what I do that you never knew um, or what I just, and he does the same thing because we're so aware that if we don't invite each other on our journey, we're going, it will, it will divide us and it won't be intentional either. And it's not about love at that point either. It's just that that's human nature. We are always changing. We are always growing. We are always influenced by our environment. And we spend a lot of time apart as a couple in the day with work, with colleagues, with different things. And then you add children in the mix. So unless you come back together and you say, well, look, 
I don't want to do what we've been doing anymore in the bedroom or for vacation, or I don't have the same plan that I had for us in 10 years from now. Let's talk about it. You know, you'll be devastated because you're not going to know how you ended up where you are. Yeah. It, it, you, it's a constant maintenance, paying attention to all the steps, revisiting things. This book could probably be read like five times over because it's not something you just do once and then that's it. And and we believe the same as you. And that's what we talked about last time you were on the show, change junkie and change is constant and all of that. And just to expect that that's going to continue to evolve. And these are things that you just need to pay attention to all the time. And there's 5 billion other awesome things in this book. And these are just the, some of stuck out to us. But, um, you know, we love your, your idea and your mindset, especially like you said, the change that it's a constant and that it's always there. And this book is just like, I mean, it is so us. And so our show, there is like, we're going to have to have you back on again to talk about like all of the other chapters that we love, but this is just a tip of the iceberg. We love, love, love it. Um, and please remind, because this book is launching very soon. So remind everyone when they can get it and where they can get it and then where they can find you on all of the social media platforms as well. Amazing. Um, so you can pre-order it now at this very second on Amazon. It will officially be released on February 12th. So that's next week, just in time. Sorry, the 11th, just in time for Valentine's Day. Um, you can follow me at rethinklife.today and on Instagram, Monica Berg 74. And I also have a tour coming up. The first one is this coming Wednesday, February 12th at seven in New York. So, um, yeah, check me out. Awesome. Oh, and you get a workbook, workbook and workshops that come with that. So we love that. Yes. That's amazing because that keeps you accountable and also helps you like put it to the test because sometimes when you read things, obviously it goes in one eye and maybe out the other. Yeah. But if you're actually, um, you know, putting in a bit of the work and spending time with something and, and maybe digging a little bit deeper within yourself, it actually does make the difference instead of sort of falling by the wayside. So that is fun. And really just a wonderful aspect of your book and all of the things that you do. So thank you again. We're going to make sure everyone has a link to where they can get that and find you and all of the things. And everyone that's listening, tune in next week for an all new episode where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff with our guest, Andrea Barica, author of Sex Tech Revolution and CEO and founder of The O School. And if you want to join the class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show. And it's complicated wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, obviously, rate, comment, tell a friend, all of the things. You guys and get Monica's book and then send us messages about other questions you have. And then we'll have Monica back on again to talk more about all these other amazing points, tips, and tricks she has in this book. And don't forget to follow me on social media at Lauren Leonelli all over the place. And you can follow me at Jennifer Golden. That's Jennifer with one N in case you guys don't know that by now. But don't you worry. <laughs> I'll remind you. <laughs> and you can find me everywhere and on every dating app. That's so right. yay you. And we will be back next week. <laughs> Love, Love you long time. time. You're listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 